to Diversity Beyond the Checkbox. On this podcast, we share diverse perspectives from leaders in their industries, explore diversity, equity, and inclusion concepts, and challenge our own assumptions and perspectives to take diversity beyond the checkbox. And in this podcast series in particular, we want to initiate courageous conversations that remove barriers, stereotypes, and apprehension associated with asking difficult questions related to types of diversity. Our goal is to foster an understanding, create connectivity between people, and share experiences through conversation. So this is our second episode in our special Ask a series. And today we have Ask a Straight Guy and Ask Two Queer Women of Color. I'm your host, Jason Gillikin. My pronouns are he, him, and his. More on what that means in a minute. I'm the CEO of EarFluence, and I'm the straight guy in this episode. And one quick note before we get going, most questions asked in this series are researched as often asked questions. Perspectives shared represent those of our guests and do not necessarily represent the sentiments or viewpoints of EarFluence, the diversity movement, other associated organizations, or their employees or assigns. Also, if you like this podcast, and I've heard from so many of you already who liked our first episode in the series, Ask a Black Guy, Ask a White Guy, make sure you subscribe, rate, review, and share this, share this on social media. And to see more diversity initiatives, including an online course on diversity and inclusion in the workplace, visit thediversitymovement.com. With that, let's meet our guest today. Hi, my name is Adrian Michelle. My pronouns are she, her, hers. I am co-founder of Intersections and I'm a queer woman of color. Adrian is also a marriage and family therapist who works with mostly couples in the LGBTQ community. Hi, my name is Brittany Glover. My pronouns are she, her, hers. I'm the co-founder of Intersections and I'm a queer woman of color. Brittany's career has been in tech and now she runs LGB Media Consulting. Together, Adrian and Brittany form Intersections, which helps organizations create more diverse and inclusive cultures through training and consulting and speaking at conferences throughout the region. Well, thanks for joining us on, on the show. I think uh, a lot of straight guys are kind of wondering this. So we started this conversation in talking, and I said, my pronouns are he, him, and his. And you two had said your pronouns were, were she, her, and hers. That is growing a lot, obviously, on, on LinkedIn and anywhere else that we can see that. Can you help me understand why that's such a, a movement now to, to add pronouns? Yeah, for sure. So as a licensed marriage and family therapist, clarifying that I work mostly with queer families and queer folks in general and identifying as queer, it's really important to make sure that you're open and willing to have conversation. And that's what talking about pronouns are about. Even when we do training, sometimes uh, people haven't heard the term pronouns since they were basically in middle school. It's based on identity and uh, gender identity. And so we have folks who identify with they, them, zizer, just all along the spectrum and really talking about gender diversity, which has been in our culture for years, decades, hundreds of years, actually. But being able to talk about it openly, have conversation is important. And I think recognizing that a lot of trans women of color really are targeted and murdered, really, because we're not talking about gender. We're not talking about sexual diversity. We're not talking about these things. So I think being willing to say, Hi, my name is Adrian Michelle. I use she, her, hers. It immediately opens up the door for somebody else to say, hey, these are my pronouns, or hey, this person knows what pronouns are, or hey, I can be myself, or you know, ask them a question about gender or something like that. And so it's really important in the workplace, um, and especially in my field in therapy, to be able to share pronouns and share 
information that makes people really feel included and like they're in a really diverse space. Brittany, anything to add to that? I actually have a different perspective on that. I think that I didn't necessarily grow up, you know, using the pronouns, but I've always found it interesting, right? As a female, also with short hair, the times that I've been misidentified and what that's felt like to actually have to step back and say, hey, actually, you know, I don't go by that, right? Or this is who I am. So being able to present yourself in your most authentic space, I think is super important when you're in the space of being misidentified as well, whether that's in the workplace or in the community. And even talking about that, I think it's important to identify like cisgender, right? So cisgender folks are people who are assigned a gender at birth and they still identify as that. And I think the three of us perhaps identify as cisgender people. And so when we recognize pronouns, we're saying, hey, we are open to expanding our minds, talking about trans identities, and also working with trans identities. So I think it's also important to recognize that it's mostly like cis people that are able to adopt this behavior to be able to say it first um, because of the privilege that lies there. And so it's really important that we actually make the effort to say pronouns. So I'm really glad that we all can do that comfortably. So I have to insert a funny story here that I think like, I don't know, they say it takes like queer people sometimes like seven plus times like of coming out. (laughs) And there's a period of my time where I feel like I always used to pronounce like they, them so much. So when people are like, well, how do I know to like use these terms, you know? And it's interesting because it's like, you don't always, but if you were having this interaction, right, with a queer person and they said they, them, right, that's kind of given different signals of like, hey, like, this is who I am, and I want to be seen for that, right? Mm -hmm. Or maybe that means something different. And I think a lot of queer people identify with that, kind of starting with those pronouns, like, hey, I have a partner, they are coming. Mm -hmm. I don't know what they're doing today, right? Like, it just becomes, like, this protection, this, like, boundary that you create for yourself. So, you know, it feels good to come out on the other side of that with she, her, and hers. And and just... You know, by Jackie putting her pronouns in her LinkedIn profile, it means, hey, I'm I'm an ally here. I'm willing to have a conversation. And, mm-hmm. you know, me saying at the top of the show, my pronouns are he, him, and his means I'm willing to, to have a conversation. I mean, it might get in the gist of it that if, if somebody did that, then they're probably an ally to anybody who's not a straight guy or a straight person, basically. You know what? That's what you're signaling. Yeah. Right? That this is a safe space. Really to be able to say, hey, I use these pronouns or hey, I go by this or hey, can you call me this, right? It's an opportunity to introduce or embrace really the diversity. And that's why it's so important. Right. I would feel very natural coming to Jackie, right, or Adrian or yourself and saying like, hey, actually, I identify different, mm-hmm. right? Understanding or, you know, living up to the different standards that don't even identify myself. Yeah. And to be clear, it doesn't give you your allyship card, right? It Mm -hmm. basically just says that you're willing to have this conversation. And so hopefully, you know, saying your pronouns isn't the only thing you're doing in terms of gender diversity, but to recognize that it's a start, you know? Yeah. Gotcha. Well, speaking of safe space at work, 40% of LGBTQ plus employees say they feel closeted at work. So What's been your experience and what have you seen as a difference in your experience with, you know, your coworkers that are, that are straight and, and sharing your, about your personal life? 
Well, I think I have an interesting perspective here with, you know, being in grad school, being a facilitator, a teacher, a speaker, and a therapist. I don't tend to have a lot of coworkers, but what I do have are Mm. a lot of people that I work with in the community. Something that we don't think about in being closeted at work is how much confidence it takes to recognize whether you're in a safe place. So Brittany and I were actually just talking, like if you're, you know, at a water cooler, basically having a conversation, right? If somebody were to say, hey, do you have a a boyfriend? I probably would just be like, no. And I wouldn't say anything else because there is no invite for diversity there. But if someone were to say, you know, do you have a partner? Then I would feel more comfortable you know, sharing. And I think it's really thinking about those moments when you're thinking about work. It's how is this person going to react? You know, every queer person has the same anxiety anybody else has. How is this person going to react? How is this person going to respond? But with queer identities, there's a lot more at stake, I would say. And, you know, especially in North Carolina. Right. I think it's really important to understand the different sectors, right? Like I work in technology. My career has been in technology, right? And that's been a totally different experience of coming in as like a black woman initially, right? That's the first identity you see with me, right? And then you may notice, okay, she has short hair, she never wears a skirt, et cetera, et cetera. Very pieces, right? Or stereotypes that we're expected to hold together. So stepping into a totally different environment like that, I think that it's always been really scary to enter those personal details, you know, about yourself, whether that is getting coffee in the morning or having lunch and not understanding how other people will see this. So this isn't your primary job, right? But at the end of the day, you know, we all want to be better human beings. That is also the purpose of that. So I think, you know, really being able to educate people is a great thing. But also I have to think back to the young black girl in me, right? The 20 year old that had to sit down on a lunch table and I couldn't share any details as to who I was, what I was doing on the weekend, on my weekend may have looked different. Again, I may have used different pronouns to represent, you know, my personal life around that as well. So it's all these pieces that we don't even know, right, about it individually. So being able to really lean into conversations like that are important. Perhaps you may not be the person and you know that about yourself. It's like, hey, like, I probably shouldn't roll up to my coworker and have, you know, the first thing I say is commenting on their hair, right? Or commenting. Yeah, or commenting on their identity. Right, Mm -hmm. or... There are conversations like that that make it really difficult to really be yourself and be authentic without understanding, right, or not being afraid that your job is on the line in that sense. Yeah, and, and you talk about that water cooler, and I think it, the, the reality is I don't know that I would be able to ask, you know, in, until recently anyway, you know, do you have a partner? Because, mm-hmm. you know, I think I would have been a little bit scared of offending somebody to assume that they're gay, right? And I, and that's just, you know, just saying that out loud, that doesn't sound fair at all. But I think that's how I, I would have been, like I said, until recently. So, um, you know, honestly, I, I probably would just avoid the conversation, <laughs> like ask them a different type of question. So um, that's so that's common. That's so common that people are like, oh, I'm so scared. So I won't say anything, right? right. So Instead, it feels like exclusion, right? But there's so many other things that you could say besides, do you have a partner? You could say, what's your home life like? Are you in a relationship? Yeah, do you cook? Do you cook alone? Do you have a pet? Like there's so many, (laughs) so many ways to really be able to connect with somebody, but even just like, oh, I'm worried that this person might be gay, might be queer. 
So I'm not going to ask them anything, right? You can feel it. You can feel that difference of not being included. And I think it's really important to recognize, again, those small things. But if I can share, when I was in graduate school, even all therapists go through a whole course about, you know, what happens when you have your first client? What should your office look like? What your clothes should look like? We're taught all of these different things. And something that they were talking about is, you know, whether you'd have your picture of your family there. And thinking about that, and I recognize having a connection with the people of color that were like, do I put a picture of myself on the website? Because what if this person doesn't want to work with Black people? What if this person doesn't want to work with Asian folks? And so being mindful of that, but then also as a queer person to say, well, dang, like as a marriage and family therapist, do I put me and my partner up? Are straight couples going to want to work with me, right? So there's so many elements of the water cooler versus being an entrepreneur versus, you know, being a therapist versus being, you know, in technology and not even seeing people face to face that often. And when you do, it's boom, comments on identity, you know, which is uncomfortable. And I think that as intersections, you know, that's something that we really tackle head on is really talking about why are we even focusing on identities? Why is the first thing people say, oh, hey, why is this different? Hey, why is that different? Hey, what is that food? Hey, what's going on with your hair? Like, it's always pointing out the differences and not really focusing on you know, if we have something in common, if we, we all have families, we can talk about that. I think yeah. that is really important too, because it's just like, wow, like there's so many things that now that we're talking about it, you can bring to a virtual water cooler, right? Or to like face-to-face getting coffee in the morning, right? If you're in the office, there are millions of things we can talk about, right? So it's really just like pushing ourselves to really think outside the box as well, instead of maybe sometimes putting people in boxes. We all make mistakes. So we make those mistakes, we learn from it. And it's the sense of, You know, you only get better with practice. So I think that's why we're really leaning in as well on continued education there. Yeah, definitely. And Adrian, you mentioned the term or you mentioned intersections. So, you know, why did you name your company Intersections and, you know, talk about intersectionality, what it is and why it's important to the diversity conversation? Yeah, so we actually named our company Intersections to really speak to the diversity of um, what intersectionality means. Um, Intersectionality was a term coined by Kimberly Crenshaw in the late 80s, early 90s, Black woman who was trying to discuss and really talk about the experiences of a Black woman, right? This idea that you're not just peeling one layer back and getting the other, and if you can kind of think back in time in, in the 60s, basically, I'm like such a history buff in those understanding so much that happened in this time. But when you think about the feminist movement, you see a lot of white women. Um, even when you think about gay pride, you think about a lot of white gay men. And so recognizing who was left out of that conversation. And so during the feminist movement in the 1960s, Black women had to make a decision. You know, do I join the feminist movement or do I fight for my rights as a Black person? And so really taking a step back and recognizing intersectionality is about all of the identities that we have. So even identifying as a Black queer woman, I also identify as a femme, which is kind of a subsector of identifying on the gender spectrum and being able to present in any way that I choose. And so really recognizing intersectionality is just about all the pieces of us. And so Jason, even you sharing, you know, your identities, I'm sure there are multiple identities that you can share, you know, whether you have kids, where you grew up, a socioeconomic status, religion, there's so many pieces to people, not just what you see. And so intersectionality is just about making sure that we're seeing everything 
um, and talking about it, you know, because we can't just say, oh, everything is black and white. We can't just um, sit back and talk about people of color. And even people are using the term BIPOC now um, and not just cutesy pop. And so BIPOC is um, about black and indigenous people of color, as opposed to just saying people of color, because we do experience a different type of privilege and oppression in this country. Intersections is just about making sure that we're hitting all of the layers and seeing them for what they are. Do you feel like we're, we're making progress as a society in the conversation? And, you know, I'll go to, you know, Pete Buttigieg was our first openly gay presidential candidate. You know, he, he went pretty far. Does that mean to you that we're starting to em- embrace the LGBTQ plus community? No, it wasn't okay. Bill Porter or India Moore. <laughs> it wasn't, you know, these queer people that are really speaking up for community. So, I mean, I'm glad that he got as far as he got, but his identity is still what it is, you know, and, and he didn't speak up a lot for people of color, queer people of color, non-binary folks, trans folks, gender non-conforming the murders that are happening to trans women of color all over this nation. And so I think as a, you know, as a gay white man, he did all right. He did what we expected. <laughs> I wish it was the cast of Pose that was in our White House right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, as it is, we're going to have uh, a, a straight white guy in the seventies, no matter what happens. So <laughs> we, can, we can look forward to that. What are the chances? What are the chances? <laughs> <laughs> In this country right now, pretty good. (laughs) I know, I know. know. (laughs) Yeah, wow. Adrian, you talked about murders. And, you know, I I know that teen suicide rates in the U.S. are at an all-time high. And, you know, rates among LGBTQ plus teens are are higher. So you take that, you mentioned, you know, murders of LGBTQ plus community. So what, I mean, what are some best practices to support our kids as they begin to understand and vocalize who they are as individuals and and how can we, you know, how can we help with that? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, even with the clinical perspective to understand that teen suicide rates among the LGBTQ um, plus teens are high, but also the homelessness rate is high in that community. The bullying rates are really high in that community. Hang on one second. The the homelessness rates are are high. Is that I mean, is I'm trying to understand how that happened. Like, is it because they get kicked out? Yeah, or or feel unwelcomed. It's okay. really hard to, to get a job, you know, identifying in, in certain ways or even presenting in certain ways. And so really understanding that it's not just uh, small discrimination, you know, it's all across the board. And so when we look at these rates, you know, the homeless rates, the suicide rates, the abuse of drugs and alcohol, a lot of it is the LGBTQ community and really recognizing that the way to help and the way to support is to talk about what is going on. You know, as I said, trans women of color are being murdered at such a high rate right now because we don't talk about gender. We don't talk about fluidity. We don't talk about other cultures. And so to be able to support those youth we got to talk to these cis hetero kids that are walking around with the willingness to abuse queer people. Um, And I think that is the only way to move out of these high rates. And yeah, it is because they're getting kicked out or, you know, feeling excluded, not feeling comfortable. I even, you know, remember when I came out, just not feeling comfortable enough to go home. And so when you think about that on a job level, home level, it doesn't leave many places that feel really comfortable, right? 
And if those pieces, like, aren't connected, imagine, like, mentally how broken one can become when trying to handle all of these things at the same time while having several identities, as we all have, right? That's hard enough to walk into a workplace with all of that stuff that Adrian just mentioned, like, already on your back, right? So just really being mindful of that space, you know, and letting people show up as their authentic selves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that all the pieces really matter, right? When we look at them from, you know, a very holistic view, all of these pieces working around, but like, how do they come together? And we have to know that like... Oh, well, it's it's kind of also around intersectionality. And so sometimes people say, we're like onions, you know, you peel one layer back and you get the other one. But instead to think of ourselves as garlic cloves, you know, because it's just a circle of all of the cloves and you can see them all. And that's more of what intersectionality looks like. And the conversation around diversity and support has to look the same way. We have to look at all the pieces. And you said we need to have conversations. I mean, or in, in like hetero and cis people need to have conversations about this. But who, who's, who's we? Like, you know, is it the parents that need to have these conversations? Is it the teachers that need to have these conversations? Do they, there need to be more seminars? Like, how do we, how do we practically do this? Well, you know what? It's so funny. I was, I was just talking with a, a colleague of mine who um, works for a few universities out here. and We all do kind of g- gender and sexual diversity training. And what they were saying was, I can't believe I have to sit through this training. It's so basic. And mm. I thought, this is stuff that we need to be learning in kindergarten. There are children in school now that need to be learning this information. And so I'm talking from very little blue does not mean boy, pink does not mean girl, right? right. Um, I'm talking from very little to be able, you know, just like we say, there, there's boys and there's girls, to really make it obvious that there's more than that. If we can talk even, you know, just scientifically for a second, uh, one in 1,000 people are born intersex. That's a whole gender in itself that we've been ignoring. And so to even say, oh, there's boys and girls, well, scientifically, that's wrong. Even assigned sex-wise, we have three different assigned sexes. So why aren't we having these conversations about gender? And so I think parents, schools, you know, everybody should be talking about it and being able to really talk freely because it's not just about gender and it's not about genitalia even really. Because when we talk about gender in this nation, we know what we're talking about. When we talk about how guys act and how girls act and what girls are supposed to do, you know, just as Brittany was talking about, even presentation, even the way she dresses is ridiculed. And so we have to be mindful of that, how we police bodies in this nation, really. And so like, I mean, are any elementary schools having these conversations at all? Like, is it, have we gotten to the point where, you know, we we can have these? Yeah, there are schools um, in Durham, there are schools in Philadelphia, New York, New Jersey. I've worked at many schools all across this nation that are having this conversation and the willingness Schools all over the nation have uh, gender neutral bathrooms. Restaurants have gender neutral bathrooms. Signs up, especially after, you know, the HB2 fiasco. Mm -hmm. And so really being able to understand that this conversation is being had. And if it's not, it's your responsibility to have it, right? So be able to recognize, you know, there are people who identify all kinds of way all on TV. And so if you're avoiding it at this point, you are really trying (laughs) because (laughs) the the conversation is everywhere. And so, you know, I want my kids to grow up knowing that there's more than two genders because I don't believe in that part of oppression. And so to be able to say, oh, there's more than that. 
kids can understand that. And for some reason, as adults, we feel like we got to police their minds and tell them what they need to know. And we know it doesn't work from all the abstinence-only education that North Carolina has. <laughs> um, and being able to say, yeah, just giving one answer that you think is going to work, it does not work. It does not work. <laughs> you know, on a lighter note, right? They're also friends, but, you know, we don't share the same identities from that sense. But I have really great friends, straight friends, right, that I'm able to sit down and have conversations with. And they ask me honest questions. And I ask them honest questions, but most importantly, if they have a question, we have a safe space that's created that we're able to have those safe conversations, even if that's as simple as like, hey, you know, my kid is going through this. Could you give me some advice around this, right? Or even being able to come into those environments and even speak with their kids, right? Not speaking with them in any deep conversation there, but letting them see, you know, what people of different identities really look like. But because at the end of the day, again, we're all the same people. Right. right. Like we all want the same things. We all want to be great. So being able to show up and represent for that. Now I know that this isn't, you know, checking the black box, checking the queer box for my friend, because that friend is really authentic in this case. It doesn't happen overnight. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think as a queer black woman, you know when it's authentic or not. And that's when you're able to lean in and people are able to lean into you. But it's a really authentic act. Yeah. I agree. It's it's definitely about the representation, for sure. Well, and, and speaking of representation, and you mentioned pop culture references, like how, how has that evolved, you know, over the past, you know, let's say 20 years or so. And from my perspective, when I was in my, you know, late teens, let's say early 20s, there were terms that were very derogatory towards gay people, but not necessarily towards gay people, but what what was meant as more more feminine you hear it a lot in, in hip-hop especially but just talking to to friends as well and i feel like that's shifted and i feel like you know some of the tv shows that openly depict lgbtq plus people have really helped change that and made people feel more open and, and steer the conversation so it was a very long-winded question to add to, to say like has popular culture helped in this movement? I would say, yeah, it's definitely helped bring about the representation, mainly, you know, I think because there are just more representation available for folks to see, but the representation has gotten significantly better. You know, I would say, you know, from the 90s with Bound to a newer show that we were just watching Feel Good or, you know, there's more queer people showing up in in spaces that we already are. And I think recognizing that is important. And also kind of recognizing that every representation you see is not, you know, just like with anything else, like it may not be the full truth around that. We also watch shows that we're like, wow, like, As a queer person, I definitely don't act like that, right? Mm -hmm. Nor do any of my friends. So I think there are a lot of um, shows that are able to do it right. And a lot of shows that maybe aren't like hitting the mark quite yet. But I have to be honest in saying like, it's still great to see people try. And that is the whole point of continued education in that sense. Yeah, and I think that the difference is they, quite frankly, they have LGBTQ people in the writing room. (laughs) Like, Mm. you know, there are people like... um, lean away there's so many people that are coming out and able to produce their work to talk about you know janet mock or billy porter or some of the other names that i've focused on 
to really recognize that they've gotten the opportunity to be at the forefront by telling their stories, but also by being willing to say, hey, this is actually a queer story. This is what queer stories look like. And so being able to, to see that representation is important because just as Brittany was sharing earlier, it's hard to identify if you don't have a word for it, right? So there are people who perhaps identify as trans, identify as queer, identify as gender not conforming, fluid, all these words that float around. But until you see yourself, it's hard to, to feel like you have a real um, identity until you're like, oh, you know what? I think this is me. And that sticks with you, you know, whether it's focusing on a career, whether it's a sexual identity, a gender-based identity, or even a cartoon that you still like to watch. Realistically, people like that energy of being like, oh, that's me, or oh, me too. People like to feel seen. And so really recognizing that in pop culture and how different that is. But they still, you know, they still got it messed up sometimes. I swear, every time we watch (laughs) you know, something that has like a lesbian in it. She always has to have like lingerie underneath a white t-shirt. It's like, <laughs> they cannot just let her live. It's like, there has to be a sexual undertow. Like, oh, you can't forget. She's also risky, you know? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't happen in real life. But you know what? It's, it's gotten better. But yeah, I'd love to be in some of those writing rooms just to give a little, a little assistance. <laughs> <laughs> are you, are either of you familiar with the show Billions on Showtime? We are So they introduced a character named Taylor a a few seasons ago. And Taylor came on and was an intern and went to the boss and said, my name is Taylor. My pronouns are they, them, there. And everybody was like, what is going on here? Like they had no idea what to you know, what to think of that. And, and that came across and, and I was like, what is, what is going on here? You know, as, as a, a straight guy, I was like, what, what is going on here? But I think that that opened up the conversation to what is, what exactly does this mean? And I thought that was, you know, important to, you know, to me to grow and to understand things. And then I, mean, I look back at some of the old pop culture references, like in, I want to say it was 2005, uh, the 40 year old version. Are either of you familiar with, with that movie? Danny, yes, I've seen that movie, but I cannot remember anything besides, I mean, he lost his virginity, but. <laughs> <laughs> Good for him. Um, <laughs> but, but there was a, a, a scene in there uh, where it was two straight guys saying, you know how I know you're gay. You know, you like crochet or macrame or whatever it is or you know how i know you're gay you like to do whatever stereotypes Mm -hmm. mm -hmm, yeah and at the time i thought it was pretty funny and but you know you look back at it now and it's like well wait a minute here i don't think that i don't think that scene would be in there anymore but then also they were using that to say uh you know how i know that you're a lesser person and Mm -hmm. you, you know you you know how I know you're, you're not as cool as me. You know how I know you're gay. And so they were, they were using gay to represent that. And I don't think that happens anymore. Maybe I'm wrong. I just don't see it. But I think that that's interesting how that's really shifted. And I think that's, that's important as well. Yeah. I mean, I think that even leads more into toxic masculinity, really, right? You know, I know you're not a man because this is what you're doing or this is why you're gay. It kind of speaks to that which is hard and, and, and sad really, but yeah, it was probably funny at the time, but at whose expense, right? Right. Understanding that, well, shit, I just made this movie and yeah, I made a couple jokes, but now somebody else is going to have to fight if they, 
I don't even remember, but I guess if they like to crochet and they're a straight guy, like what what does that mean? Who cares? <laughs> right. 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 And so being able to, you know, speak past the stereotypes because it hurts people, you know, and it hurts the community. Now, if we were all on the same playing field and uh, gay people didn't have anything to worry about, then yeah, it's all fun and games, but it further um, toxifies an identity that doesn't need any more ridicule, you know? Yeah. And I think the, the responsibility there for pop culture and for writers is to really recognize, am I doing more harm? And to be able to ask themselves that question. Oh, that's a good point. So, you know, you two have, it feels to me like you have to work harder all the time because you're, you're, you're women, you're black and you're queer. Like, do you feel that too? Like, do you, do you feel that you have to work harder to, to prove yourselves every day? So I think that's a great question. And I think it's a question that, you know, it's kind of like the one time that I'll answer it for the final time. Almost, it almost kind of comes off as like a microaggression to like get that question a certain time. There's like clearly no offense in the situation, but I think that it's important to know that, yes, you know, I think as a black person, right, as a queer person, those have been two totally different experiences, right? I was very affected as, right, a young black girl than the queer experience, right? Those were two separate um, identities that I went through different experiences with it's almost been more okay for me to be Black than it has queer. Now, I'll put that in, right, a use case, a scenario for us and say if I'm walking into a new tech company, right, traditionally, I've been the only Black girl. Let's say there are 15 to 50 other developers. Automatically, you see this Black identity. So that is something that's like, okay, I have to work twice as hard for that to say, hey, I deserve to be in this space. That even backs up to being asked, right? Like, why are you here? You know, perhaps you don't deserve this. Where did you go to college? You know, all of these questions that I've earned the same credentials is almost like the question that sometimes I've wanted to say, you know, do you need a copy of my resume? But also this isn't the question that I should be asking on the second day of joining a company. There shouldn't be- And no box. one else has to answer that And question. no one else has to answer to that, right? I think a lot of that starts with your mentors, right? So very early on, they're really looking at more of a career focus. You know, POC managers, right? Making sure those people are in place so that as a young person, right? As a 20-year-old coming into the workforce, I see other people that look like me. But being able to see those people, being able to work with those people, I'll be honest, like, I what I do now is for that younger black girl that had to go through all of those steps you know I feel like if I don't speak up now what does that do for the generation behind me if I can't speak on this you know how do those kids know that they deserve a chance straight out of college and they don't have to put their resume in front of everyone as a queer person I shouldn't have to answer to a skirt how I dress how I cut my hair any of these pieces as well but I do think it's important to really note that being a Black person, I am multiple things. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the effect of that, you know, how it's affected me from a child to now, it definitely plays a huge role. But I like to really focus on the opposite of that and to not have necessarily that level of conversation, but to focus on the things that I'm great at. And that kind of goes back to, like, what are the similarities between us, right? We both like sneakers. I keep bringing that up. I may not wear heels. I love sneakers. I love the garden. All of these different pieces 
that no matter where I fall on the spectrum, there are things that make us more similar. Yeah. I think that was, honestly, that was so well said. And just a short added to that is like, hell yeah, we got to work harder. And that sucks. And it should not be like this. And there's stats that say that for sure we work harder and we've had to. So I agree 100% with what Brittany said. You know, it's, it's hard to hold these identities in a world that doesn't see them. And it makes it harder. It's almost like I'm given 150%, mm-hmm. but you're saying even me given that 100%, you're not even knocking me down to 100%. You're knocking me down to 80%. So I'm still at a point where I have to prove myself mm-hmm. until you really get to that point where you're like, hey, like, I'm actually not the victim. I'm not the victim in your company, right? Like, I'm not the victim in my personal life. You know, I can stand on my own two feet and represent who I am. And once I feel like you have that confidence to set back out in the world, that makes all the difference. But unfortunately, like all of us don't have that experience. And that's why it's important for us to show up. And that's awesome. And, and so do you two, or do either of you try to mentor younger women or, or younger queer women so that, you know, you can kind of put your arm around them and, and say, here's what I went through when I was your age? So we are definitely connected to like the Durham community and just kind of offering support where we can. And so we go and do uh, motivational talks and really talk with young people and, you know, have them understand and really see that queer women (laughs) are in this world and working and fine and happy and making money and are entrepreneurs and are many things. And so being able to recognize that for young queer people to really understand that you don't have to live in that oppression forever if that's what you're experiencing. And also, you know, Brittany does a lot of work in working with young girls as well. In the media sector for me, I do mobile app development as well as um, custom apps. And that's really what brings us together. It's like a really interesting approach with intersections. But for me, right, like it's really important that I hire um, POC developers when I'm able to, right? And what that really looks like is leaning in on women in the exact same situations as me, honestly, where there are several situations where I say, hey, like, I understand you want to get paid this amount because you've been conditioned that that's all you're set up for. Actually, I can pay you more and I can help you see your worth, right? And even your strengths. During the summer, I actually teach um, summer classes with a program called Intech. And I recall last year we had a student that drew, her parent drove her all the way up from Georgia overnight for her to come to this NC State camp. And it was so important for her, right? For her to see her child to be able to see people that look just like her and some of the um, adversities they've had to face in that. Specifically, that was for coding, right? So in that coding space, being able to empower others that look like me and have a voice that I want them to start using that voice. Because not only do we teach technology, not only do I teach diversity, I really like to instill, you know, you're worth it, you know, spend time on yourself, explore what you're great at, and then go conquer that. Mm -hmm. Wow, that is awesome. It's so powerful. Well, as we wrap up our time, what, what else do you two want to add to to the conversation, if anything, because I've learned so much already, but is there there any, I'll I'll give you some space. Is there anything else that, that you two want to add? Yeah, I know we have some questions for you. And so (laughs) I am am curious about, you know, as you're doing this podcast, right? What does diversity in your life 
look like? You know, as you're kind of opening yourself up to learn all of these things, you know, do you feel like it's reflected in your life and, and do you want that? Okay. So that's a really good question. You know, in terms of this conversation, I didn't have many gay friends growing up, but I did have a guy who, who came out to me when I was 18, 19, maybe. He said he had a girlfriend and uh, we were catting together and we were, we were wondering like, why, we, why we never met this girl. Her name was Shannon, supposedly. So we're, we're catting on the golf course one time and we're walking together and he's like, well, you know, sh she's, I mean, she's not, she's not what you expect. And she's this, she's that. And he goes, well, take off, take off the yes. I was like, so wait, her, her name's Hannon. I don't, I don't quite understand what you're talking about. <laughs> and uh, he's like, no, no, it's, it's a he. And uh, I can't remember. Oh, his name was Rick. I just remember that his name is Rick. And I was like, oh, okay. But you know, and so that was my first experience with it. And you know, it was cool. Like it was, it was great. I mean, you know, we were good friends and that was awesome. But you know, over the years, I haven't had too many LGBTQ plus friends. I wouldn't say, I mean, uh, my wife's a wedding planner and she married two guys a few years ago in their fifties. And we became really really good friends, me and my wife and, and these two guys, you know, went to the, the Keys together. And, you know, so we oh, went to New York City as well and, and saw a couple of plays there. But, you know, I don't have too many LGBTQ plus friends that, that I, you know, that I know of, I, I don't think. But do I think about diversity? Not before I got involved in this project. Not, not really. You know, I'm a straight, white, middle-aged guy. And I, I don't, I don't really think about it. And I've got that privilege really of not thinking about it as much as so many people have to think about that every every single day but again you know i felt like i was an, an ally for sure like anytime i saw something that wasn't right i was like okay well that's not right that that shouldn't be like that but at the same time did i think about it did i was i actively involved in anything no no not really not not until i got involved in this project and that's fine, right? But just recognizing, recognizing that, but figuring out where that representation is. So even yeah. being a part of this podcast, you know, having friends, it makes you more conscious of the representation that's in your life. And so I always tell people, I'm like, are you supporting queer shows? Do you, you know, have queer friends? Are you reading your kids' books that have more than just mommy, daddy, you know, single moms, single right. dads, parents, you know, queer couples, to be mindful of that because you want to make sure that you're inspiring or living a life that's full of diversity, even if you don't have it, you know, right next to you. And so some people are like, oh, I, I'm not queer. I'm not watching queer shows. I'm like, well, I'm not a superhero. <laughs> I'm not a superhero, but I like some superhero shows, you know, and so <laughs> really being able to like connect with stories that aren't just your own, you know, I think that's really important. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, definitely. And yeah, I mean, and, and I've got three young girls, you know, seven, five, and two. And, you know, we make sure that we know that you know, men don't have to be attracted to women and, you know, men can be attracted to men, women can be attracted to women, but, you know, we haven't had that conversation beyond that, right. Where people can identify as, as different things. And so, you know, having this conversation, it, it's, you know, definitely a conversation that, that we need to have because mm -hmm. we want, you know, them to be comfortable in whatever they turn out to be. And we want their, their friends and, and people that their classmates to be comfortable yeah. And one more thing is, I think your friend probably had all of the queer stories, because I think everybody came out to their best friend in that same way. 
of making up a name yeah. <laughs> that yep. was very close the <laughs> with the pronoun they, right? Just, oh, they're fun. Yeah, they like me. Yeah, no, all, like, all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, why can't we talk about this person? When am I going to meet this person? And recognizing that hesitation as part of that queer identity of, can I trust this person? Are they going to turn on me? Is it okay? Is it going to last? You know, all those things. And so, yeah, I was just like, well, that's my coming out story. And I was like, that was everybody's. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, I think it's important, you know, to also understand that, you know, we often have privileges that maybe we didn't have before. So how I'm saying that I really want to be able to reach back out to help younger versions of me, right? Be successful in that. We all have a privilege in some sense, right? So being able to step into the community and share that, and maybe that's just the privilege of education that you're able mm. to, you know, sit down and have these conversations with your kids, right? So they're actually not the ones in school that's like freaking out because they don't understand something, right? Maybe they can be more inclusive to classmates. And a lot of just the really simple ways that we probably push off like way too quickly, but it's not like you're asking for, you know, this huge change. It's like, what are baby steps that really allow us to see people for who they are. And again, at the end of the day, you know, we all want to instill these things, right? And our kids to be their authentic selves. So what better way, you know, to also really showcase that to be open to other experiences as well. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're an ally in this sense, you know that you have that privilege. So I think for a lot of people, you know, it's being aware of your privilege and then being able to execute accordingly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, allyship is work. It is not just, you know, a sticker. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And and I was probably just having a sticker and, and, and saying that I was an ally without doing the work. And so does that mean I was an ally? You know, maybe not, <laughs> but, but, you know, now I'm, I'm, I'm doing the work and, and, you know, trying to, to do more. So yeah, I, uh, I really uh, appreciate this conversation today. Yeah, us too. I think it was, it was really good on, on our end as well. So we definitely appreciate the opportunity to chat with you and share some of our um, identities. Awesome. Well, thank you so much uh, for coming on the Diversity Beyond the Checkbox podcast today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. We hope you enjoyed that and we hope it made you think a little bit too. For more information on all diversity and inclusion initiatives that we're working on, head on over to thediversitymovement.com. And you can find more on Adrian and Brittany and the work that they're doing at intersectiondiversityandinclusion.com. And we'll be sure to put a link in the show notes. And as a reminder, if you like the show, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review as well. So until next time, or until I get fired for this, I'm Jason Gillikin, and you've been listening to Diversity Beyond the Checkbox.